text of the sermon today is from the book of Galatians, chapter 6, sixth chapter of the book of Galatians. Galatians is a New Testament book right after 1st and 2nd Corinthians, so if you can get over to that, you can find it, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, right in that neighborhood. I want to read verses 14 through 17 of the 6th chapter of Galatians. Now, tonight, we're going to start just a little early so you can get out in time to hear Reba. So, we're going to, we're going to try to get rolling here about 10 minutes or 5 minutes till 7. We promise you that if you'll come, we'll let you out in time for you to still... Use your tickets to hear Reba McIntyre. But may it never be that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither is circumcision anything nor uncircumcision but a new creation but those who will walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. For, for from now on, let no one cause trouble for me, for I bear on my body the brand marks of Jesus. I have a hunch that some of us think of the cross as only a way into life, into, into heaven. And to be sure, the cross is the way to God that had it not been for what Jesus did at Calvary, we'd not have access to God. The way of the cross leads home. The cross spans our sin and makes it possible for us to, to go from here to God. But I have a hunch that some of us think of the cross kind of like you would a ticket, you know. A ticket's necessary to get into something or to some, get, get into somewhere. And it's important for admission, but once you get in, you don't need the ticket any longer, so you just kind of lay it aside. Some of us treat the cross like that. It's the way that you get to life. It's the way you get into the kingdom of God is through your faith in the crucifixion or the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus, but once you get in, who needs a ticket anymore? I want you to know that this is really the thesis of this message, that the cross is not just the way to life. The cross is the way to live the life. And it is really and truly the symbol of the Christian faith. It is not just the way you get to God. The cross symbolizes the way that a man is to live. Now this is the age of symbols. We like to wear these symbols. We have rings with fish on them and we have little gold crosses that we wear around our necks and that's, that's good, it's important. The reason we do that is because we want everybody to know that we belong to the Lord. The Apostle Paul had his symbol. He said, I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. I bear on my body the stigmata. 
the marks of the cross, and he's making reference to a horrible custom that was practiced in his day, the branding of slaves. And these masters would bring their slaves out and they'd put their brand on them, on their cheek or on their forehead, so that when you saw this slave in town, you knew who owned him. You knew the master to whom he belonged. And what Paul is doing is, in summing up this epistle is he's, he's trying to explain that he belongs to the Lord. These Judaizers are saying that Paul was an imposter. He's a phony, they said. This is no real authentic apostle. And so the apostles... Uh, uh, apostleship was being assaulted and his honesty was being assailed and he comes to the end of this, this uh, epistle and he's saying, if you want to know who owns me, just look on me. If you want to see to whom I belong, just look on me. I bear on my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Now a man always bears the marks of his master. It's not, you don't have to look far to find the marks of an alcoholic, his master. You don't have to look far to find the brand of a drug addict, his master. And Paul said, I bear on my body the marks of the cross, the marks of Jesus. It's the symbol by which I live. I want us to take that thought and see how relevant it is. And I believe it's foundational to Christianity. For I believe that what the church needs are more of the marks of Jesus I mean, a few less gold chains around our neck and a few more marks of Jesus on our lives. That's what we desperately need. Now, these marks of the cross, the marks of Jesus, symbolize, first of all, my position as a slave. The word is doulos in the Greek. And every time we translate that, I've never really seen that a forceful translation. We Americanize our translation of the word doulos and we translate it servant. doesn't have the impact of the Greek word. The doulos, the slave, was, was a bond slave. He was owned lock, stock, and barrel by his master. And he didn't, you couldn't keep that a secret when you had this brand on you when you walked down the streets, you couldn't cover up the fact that you were owned by somebody else, lock, stock, and barrel. And they had no wills of their own. They had no choices of their own. They had no ambitions or plans of their own. They belonged to their master. And if one of them wanted to get married, he had to get the permission of his master. If he wanted children after his marriage... He had to get the approval of his master and when those children were born, they belonged to the master. He owned them lock, stock, and barrel. Does that what it, is that what it means to be a Christian? Dan Oglesby was a preacher out in West Texas when I was going to Hardin-Simmons. He was a diesel mechanic until he became a Christian and surrendered to preach. He said, when I first started to Hardin-Simmons, it really bothered me what I did not know about the Bible. He said, I was really embarrassed about what I didn't know about the Bible. He says, now what bothers me is what I know about the Bible. What bothers me this morning is what I know about this verse. It means that when you come to Jesus, you belong to Him. And Jesus says, in essence, when, if, when I entrust myself to you and you entrust yourself to me, you're giving yourself entirely to me. I own you. You don't belong to you anymore. A person might say, well, I'm free to live my own life, do as I please. No, you're not. 
This is not a democracy that we're in, in, Christ, in as Christians. It's not a democracy. God doesn't invite us to the polls to cast our vote. He doesn't ask our opinion on these matters. I mean, this is a dictatorship. And Jesus is the dictator. And a, and a dictatorship is the best form of government if you have the right kind of dictator. A king is the best form of government if you have the right kind of king. You don't belong to yourself anymore if you're a Christian. Jesus Christ owns you lock, stock, and barrel, and he's put his mark on you, and that settles all the issues. Now, some people ask me about tithing occasionally. They say, well, I'm not really sure. I'm not really convinced about tithing. Listen, tithing's not the issue. The issue is, is Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, or is he not? That settles the issue of tithing. The issue is not, will I love people? The issue is not, will I be faithful to church? The issue is not, will I witness of my faith in Jesus Christ and knock on doors? That's not the issue. The issue is, is Jesus Christ the master of your life or is he not? Now, my position as a slave involves two things. It involves a new life. Now, there's a big argument going on in verse 15 concerning circumcision. Circumcision was a right for every Jewish male to, 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 to enter into. And these Judaizers were coming and they're saying to, to Paul's uh, uh, disciples, it's all right for you to believe in Jesus, but you have to observe these rights also, these Jewish rights. The Apostle Paul said, no, the thing that really matters is not adding another right to your life. The thing that really matters is that you are a new species, a new creature in Christ Jesus. You have a new life. And you have, secondly, a new lifestyle. And so he says in verse 16 that those who walk by this rule, they have mercy and, and, and they have peace, peace and mercy. What rule is he talking about? The rule that I belong to Jesus. The cross rule. Now what is the cross rule? The cross is the place where I died. Now the cross doesn't reduce man to zero. The cross is the place where man's ambitions and man's tastes and man's desires are laid aside. It's where the, it's where the Gethsemane mindset is put into gear. Not my will but thine be done. It's where I die. Mildred Cabell was, a, was born in London. She became a Christian. She felt the call to be a missionary to China, and she fell in love while she was in college with a young man who was called to the ministry. He had, he had felt no call to China. She felt no call to stay in the United States, to stay in Great Britain, but they were very much in love. And so they had to make that choice one day, what's going to happen here? She went to China. Her, her biographer said, on that day, Mildred Cobble died. Now, she went on living and serving in China, but as far as her selfish ambitions and her will and her choices were concerned, she died. The cross is the place of death. Now, how do you live by the rules? You live by the rule of the cross, by the rule that you belong to Jesus, that you're his servant by the rule of Jesus. Now, we all make our choices and decisions with reference to relationships. Now, I've said this before, that I have a wife reference to life. Now, by that I mean that somebody comes up to me today and says, Preacher, here's a 
about $10,000 I'm going to give you. Now, if you want to do that, fine, but uh, here's about $10,000 I'm going to give you. You'll take a trip around the world. I, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to say, well, I don't know if I can make a six-month trip around the world. I got a wife and can't come. I can't do that. We have a job reference to life. Somebody says, I want to give you, why don't you go with me fishing for a week? You say, well, I got my job. I can't do that. We have a health reference to life. And so there's some things we can't do because we have to consider our health. Now, now watch this. Every decision we make in the secular world, we don't make a single decision in the secular world on the basis of what we want entirely, what we want, just what we want. We make decisions in the secular world with reference to these things, wives and jobs and health, etc. But let me tell you something. We make thousands of decisions with no reference at all to Jesus. We claim to be Christians, servants, bond slaves. We've sold out lock and stock and barrel to Jesus Christ, and yet we make hundreds of decisions a week without one consideration of Jesus. Now, he said, the person who lives with reference to those rules, that is, that he belongs to Christ, will have mercy and peace. You know what he's saying there? He's saying this, that the people who are miserable and unfulfilled and unhappy are the people who are not living by the rules. The cross is the symbol of my position as a slave. Secondly, the cross is a symbol of my pride as a slave. Now, how would you translate that verse, I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus? You'd probably translate that like I do. I endure the marks of the Lord Jesus. I suffer the marks of the Lord Jesus. I martyred the marks of the Lord Jesus. You know what that word means in the original? It means to carry triumphantly. It's the idea of a trophy. You know, you've seen pictures of the, you know, at, at center court, holding up that trophy, you know, to the whole world. That's the idea. He's saying, I carry as a trophy, triumphantly, the brand of Jesus. Now, it's no embarrassment. I'm not ashamed of being a slave of Christ, he said. The highest compliment you could ever pay me, he said, is to call me a slave. pierce my ear. Now, he wasn't talking about, you know, uh, so you can wear earrings either, you know. My daughter's been wanting to get her ears pierced. I know she was saying amen, you know, pierce my ear. She like, that's not what he's talking about here. Let me show you what he's saying in, in chapter 21 of Exodus. Now he's talking about these are the restrictions and the rules that apply to, to, to the new nation of Israel and their treatment of slaves. Watch this. Now, these are the ordinances which are set before them. If you buy a Hebrew slave, he shall serve for six years. But on the seventh, he shall go out as a free man without payment. He serves for six years. On the seventh year, you set him free. He doesn't have to pay for his freedom. You set him free. All right, and that's a Hebrew slave. He says, if he comes alone, if, if you get him as a slave and he's not married, he, he shall go out alone. If he is a husband of a wife, when you get him as a slave, the wife shall go out with him. But if his master gives him a wife, that is, if he gets married after he's your slave and has children, the, the wife and the children shall belong to the master and he shall go out alone. But watch this astounding thing. Verse 5. 
But if the slave plainly says, I love my master, my wife and my children, I will not go out as a free man. I love my master, so I'm going to stay here and serve him. He says, if that happens, this is what you do. Your master, his master shall bring him to God. Then he shall bring him to the door or the doorpost, and his master shall pierce his ear with an awl, and he shall serve him permanently. If he decides, hey, I love my master, I'm going to stay and serve him out of love, you take him out and pierce his ear. Now, whenever a person saw a slave with a pierced ear, he thought of two things. He thought, my, how he must love his master. I mean, his master says he can go free. He's been a bond servant all this time, and yet he has voluntarily remained as a slave. My, how he must love his master. Now, when you walk the streets of Durant, let me ask you a searching question. When you walk the streets, where you move about in the sphere of your being, do people look upon you and the marks of your life and say, my, how that person loves his master? Do they do that? When they saw this pierced ear, they thought of a second thing. My, what a master this guy must have. I mean, he could go free. He's been six years serving as a slave, and he could go free. My, what a master he must have. Wish I could meet him. And I imagine there were some slaves who saw that, and they must have thought within themselves, there must have been envy. They must have thought, man, I wish I had a master like that. Now, when you walk the streets of Durant, when they see the brands, the marks on your life, do, do the people say, wish I could meet his master? I wish I had a master like his. I want to ask you a question. If Jesus Christ, are you listening? If Jesus Christ came to you today and said, I know you want to go to heaven, I've got a marvelous mansion prepared for you up there. I know you want to go to heaven. Nobody wants to go to hell. And I'm going to, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to make you a promise. You're going to go to heaven. And you're going to get everything in heaven that a saint will get. I mean, you're not going to get cheated out of anything. You're going to get it all. I mean, the, you're going to get the best mansion, whatever it is. And, and I just want you to know that, that you're not going to, there's not going to be any inhibition, no limitation on what you get. And, you're willing, and I'm willing to let you go free. You can do anything you want to. You can live like you want to. You don't have to go to church. You don't have to serve the Lord. You don't have to teach. You don't have to give. I'm going to, you're going to go to heaven, and there's not going to be one thing you're not going to get up there. But I'm going to set you free. What would you do? I mean, why do you serve the Lord in the first place? If He came to you and said, Hey, you live just like you want to. I'm setting you free. Would you go? Or do you serve the Lord out of your love for Him? I mean, you'd say, Pierce my ear, Lord. I'm not going to go free. I love you too much. I want to serve you even though I know I don't have to. Would you do that? You know the happiest people in the world are the people who enjoy doing what they have to do. I guess it might be confession time. I, I suppose that the, you know, the greatest slavery there is is the slavery of, of one's own ambition, his own feelings. I mean, if you put a 24-hour watch on your feelings, you, you're not going to serve the Lord with much joy. And, and I, 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 I was, you know, for a long time I was in this rat race 
And it just bothered me when preachers, you know, get ahead of me, you know, and they'd get big churches when I deserve them more and all that kind of good stuff. You know, it just bothered me, and I got so jealous and envious. I carried my feelings around on my sleeve for a long time. One day it kind of dawned on me, why are you serving the Lord in the first place? I mean, why have you given your heart and life to Jesus Christ? Why are you walking with Him? Is it because... Uh, you, you, your greatest joy and pride and ambition is to be successful in the ministry or is it to serve the Lord? Bud Roberts was that great old Nazarene preacher. He, he's an evangelist, never made it to the big time as evangelists measure big time. But he was such a godly man and Bud Roberts, one time a man took him to New York City and he said, I'm going to take you on a little trip up to New York City and let you just see all the sights. Here was this old Nazarene evangelist. And he took him to Broadway. I mean, he saw a show on Broadway, took him all the bright lights in New York City, and just really took him around. That night in his hotel room, Bud Roberts got out on his knees and said, Lord, I just thank you that I didn't see a single thing today that I wanted. I mean, that's freedom. Freedom is coming to the place where all that matters is just to please Him where all that matters is to serve Him, is to love Him. That's my pride as a slave. One last thought. The marks of the cross are the symbol of my protection as a slave. Now, do you, you see what Paul said? He said, from now on, keep your hands off me. From now on, let no man trouble me because I, bear, I belong to Jesus. Now let me tell you something. When you go to messing around with a slave, you're going to answer to his master. I mean, he's not going to do anything to you, but you're going to have to answer to his master. If I went outside this morning and picked up some rocks and started chunking at your new automobile, maybe got me a pipe, started breaking out the windshields, that car's not going to do a thing to me. I mean, it's not going to crank itself and run over me, but if I did that, I'd probably, me and you, you'd probably take me out in the back alley and give me a whipping. I mean, that car's not going to do anything, but the guy who owns it might. There's a certain immunity to those who belong to the Lord. If, if, if you're a bond slave, he said, I'm a bond slave of Jesus Christ. I belong to Him. Now let no man touch me because I belong to Him. It means three things. I'll just touch them, then I'm through means I'm sacred. I know that surprises you. I'm sacred. You know the value of something? It's always determined by the person who owns it. You go into Browning's Library at Baylor University and you'll find a little lock of hair in there under lock and key, under guard. That little lock of hair looks just like mine. It isn't. When I go to barbershop, they just sweep it out, you know, Certainly not. They don't put it under lock and key. Nobody guards it. You know what makes that lock of hair so valuable down there in that, that uh, uh, Browning Library on Baylor University campus? Let me tell you why it's so valuable. It belonged to Robert Browning. Let me tell you what makes you so important, so precious, so valuable. You belong to the Lord. You're His. The Scripture says you're His treasure. You're His inheritance. Don't you go around beating yourself over the head and, 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 and talking to, to yourself about how terrible you are. You're His prized possession. I'm sacred. Secondly, I'm safeguarded. 
Let the world howl and rave. But Jesus said, Son, you're in my hand, and my hand is in the hand of the Father. And that's security. It means I'm supported. One thing about a slave, he didn't have to worry about where his next meal came from. It came from his master. One thing about a slave, he didn't have to worry about what kind of clothes he's going to wear. That was the responsibility of his master. One thing about a slave, he didn't have to worry about where he's going to live. That was the responsibility of his master. I want you to write this down on the walls of your mind. God is ready to assume the full responsibility of a man totally yielded to him. I must say it again. That's what this is about. God is perfectly willing. He is ready to assume full responsibility for the person who is totally yielded to Him. And He gave us this promise. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added. What are these things? The things He's talking about in the preceding verses. What we're going to eat, what we're going to wear, where we're going to live. So when I bear on my body the marks of the Lord Jesus, I'm saying, He is my source. I have a feeling that some of us think of the cross as a ticket that'll get us into somewhere. And everybody knows what you do with the ticket once you get in. You just throw it away because you don't ever need it again. I want you to know that the cross is not just the way into life. The cross is the way to live the life. Would you pray? Father, for this moment of invitation, we pray for your will to be done. We pray for the right kinds of symbols. We pray, Lord, for the right kinds of decision. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, we pray, and for His sake. Now we have three decisions that we confront in an invitation. The first decision is, have I ever really given my heart and life to Jesus? And I have a feeling that, no, I have a conviction that He has not entrusted Himself to you and put His mark on you until you have surrendered totally to Him as both Savior and Lord. Has there ever come that moment in your life when you've really trusted Jesus Christ and Him alone to be your Savior and your Lord, Master? Would you do that today? Step out of your place and come 
and say, I want to receive Jesus Christ and everything that He is as my Savior and Lord. The second invitation is for church membership. A part of what it means to follow Christ is involved in a commitment to the local church. And we don't have a choice of whether or not we're going to be involved. That issue has been settled. Christ died for the church and left the church as the means by which His voice will be extended on. Third invitation is for those of us who do not give evidence of the Master in conversation in daily life for you to make that right. Now these are the invitations for you to come. We're praying that you will right on the first word as we stand to sing.